Hello and welcome to Spot Diagnosis, a podcast about all things dermatological brought to you by the Skin Health Institute in Melbourne, Australia. I am Dr. Tom Covey. And I'm Associate Professor Alvin Chong. We are your co-hosts. This episode will be talking about melanoma. It's one of the fields in dermatology that has seen significant advances in the last decade. Today, we are joined by Associate Professor Victoria Ma. Professor Ma is the Director of Victoria Melanoma Service at the Alfred Health. She has authored multiple chapters of Australian Melanoma Guidelines and is on the Executive Committee of the Melanoma and Skin Cancer Trials Group. Welcome and thank you for sharing your time with us today, Professor Ma. Thanks, Tom. Thanks for having me. Because melanoma is such a big topic, we will be splitting it over two podcasts. For this, the first podcast, we will talk about the epidemiology and diagnosis of melanoma. For the second podcast, we'll be talking about the treatment and prevention of melanoma. So we move on to the epidemiology first. But before we do that, Tori, can you tell us what is a melanoma? So put really simply, melanoma is a cancer of melanocytes, which are the pigment cells in our skin. Melanocytes, if you allow me just to get a little bit geeky on you to start with, are pretty cool cells actually in the skin. They have a cluster of about 20 keratinocytes that they look after. And what they do in response to UV is they have pigment called melanin that they transfer down to keratinocytes. And that those melanosomes form a, a little cap or an umbrella under the, over the nucleus of the keratinocytes to protect them from UV radiation. And how is melanoma different from other skin cancers? So melanoma being a cancer of melanocytes, uh, affects those cells and uh, those cells can metastasize if the melanoma becomes invasive. Whereas other skin cancers, whilst they're much more common, they don't tend to behave quite so dangerously. So uh, basal cell cancers and squamous cell cancers are both cancers of keratinocytes. Basal cell cancers typically don't metastasize. Uh, squamous cell cancers can if they're on the head and neck, but the risks are much lower. And in terms of deaths caused, what what is the scale of the problem in terms of melanoma deaths in Australia? Well, melanoma is one of the most common cancers uh, in Australia. It's the third most common for males and for females, so the fourth most common invasive cancer overall. And in terms of deaths, that equates to about 2,000 deaths per year, so that's more than the national road toll. Wow, that is a lot of deaths. Are there some geographical differences in, in melanomas um, in, in Australia? Yeah, so the incidence of melanoma will increase according to latitude. So people in Queensland are at higher risk because of uh, the high UV exposure there compared to people in Victoria or Tasmania, which is in the south of the country. So the UV uh, index in Queensland really sits above three for most of the year round, whereas in uh, the southern states it will... Uh, be lower than three over the winter months at least. Tori, can you tell us, you know, who uh, is at risk of developing melanoma? So there are a number of risk factors uh, for melanoma and really the common ones that we think about relate to phenotype, which is a skin type that you have, how easily your skin burns, as well as the number of moles that you have. So typically people with large numbers of moles or dysplastic moles are at higher risk. And then there are people who have red hair and freckling uh, are at increased risk as well. And those people often have uh, a genetic variant called an MC1R 
variant that gives it gives them that phenotype. So red hair and freckling. People who have had a lot of sun exposure obviously are at increased risk as well. And that'll manifest itself as multiple actinic keratoses, basal cell cancers, squamous cell cancers. But So if you've been growing other keratinocyte malignancies, you're at increased risk of melanoma as well. Do you see much melanoma in people of darker complexion? We do see it occasionally, but it's much less common. So having that darker skin phenotype is protective to a degree. It's more common to have certain subtypes of melanoma in darker skin people. So they're more, a bit more prone to acral melanomas and subungal melanomas. Now, I know that having a family history of melanoma is a risk factor. So can you tell us a little bit about you know, familial melanoma? How common is it? Familial melanoma doesn't play as big a role in Australia as it does in other countries where the UV index is not as high. Most of our melanomas are from the UV exposure that we have in this country. But familial melanoma really makes up uh, a small proportion. So there are, some, uh, there are certain genes that are associated with an increased risk. And the two most common are the CDKN2A gene and the CDK4 gene. And in the general population, it's uncommon to find that. It would be only found in less than uh, 0.1% of people in the general populations. If you have a very strong family history, you've got a higher chance of finding those mutations. So we recommend screening for genetic changes in patients who have a very strong family history, which is defined actually as three or more family members affected, which is actually quite high. That's three or more first-degree family members affected? Yeah, so uh, over three first- or second-degree relatives affected, or and, and particularly if patients are developing melanomas at a young age and there are other cancers in the family, like pancreatic cancer. Tell us about the melanoma risk calculator. We've developed a, a melanoma risk calculator uh, that's on our website at the Alfred that can help patients understand a little bit more about their risk factors. Um, it can tell you about each risk factor and take you through it and then at the end it will give you an estimated risk over five years of developing melanoma. Um, It is an estimate um, but it gives you an idea of how carefully you should be checking your skin and um, having surveillance for the possibility of skin cancers. One of the things that we keep reading about is how melanomas are quite dangerous and it can lead to deaths but I know that the majority of melanomas in the community are diagnosed early and hence are curable. So Tori, can you tell us a little bit about you know, the cure rates of melanoma? Melanoma, you're quite right, is imminently curable with surgery uh, for up to 90% of cases, in fact. Uh, if it's caught really early, um, particularly if it's in situ melanoma, which means it's confined to the epidermis and it hasn't started to invade yet, Uh, then there is no risk of spread. So that's where we want to uh, diagnose melanoma. If it has started to invade, the thickness gives us an idea of the likelihood of spread. And we would stage people if their thickness is is over a millimetre, we would offer a procedure called a sentinel node biopsy to see if there's any early spread to lymph nodes, which would make the stage 3 Uh, make that stage 3 melanoma, uh, which has an increased risk of of more distant metastatic disease. So would you say that about 90% of melanomas diagnosed in a community are thin melanomas? Yes, most of them are thin melanomas. 
and then there are a proportion that are thick. They either are thick because they've been on the skin for a long time, um, but a lot of thick melanomas also are ones that have grown quite rapidly and there's quite a narrow op- narrow window of opportunity for those lesions to detect them early. So they're uh, ones that can present a little bit atypically as well. Okay, now let's talk a, a little bit about the clinical features and a diagnosis of melanoma. Can you please tell us about what are the features of melanoma? So, Tom, it depends uh, which subtype we're talking about, and we like to divide melanoma into subtypes really because they have different clinical presentations and it makes us aware of what we need to be looking out for. So the most common subtype are superficial spreading uh, subtypes, and they account for about 60 to 70% of cases. They're the ones that we would think of as the ugly ducklings that you can spot on the skin. They tend to stand out. They tend to be large diameter, and they conform to what we call the ABCD rule, which is asymmetry, border irregularity, colour variation and larger diameter. So they tend to be fairly easily diagnosed and generally we do a pretty good job of recognising them. The other subtype is nodular melanoma. It accounts for about 14 to 15% of cases, but it's much more difficult to diagnose. So these are types that tend to grow rapidly in the vertical growth phase and have a shorter uh, radial growth phase, so a very uh, narrow window of opportunity to pick them up early. They're commonly non-pigmented as well, so they can present as a pink uh, plaque or nodule on the skin uh, and grow quickly. Other subtypes are lentigo maligna and lentigo maligna melanoma. They tend to occur on really chronically sun-damaged skin on the head and neck, usually of older patients. And then there's the acral lentiginous melanomas, which occur on the soles of the feet or the palms of the hands and occasionally in uh, subungual areas. Thank you for that summary. Uh, so that's our tip number one. Nodular melanoma is an aggressive form of melanoma. It grows quickly and can be life-threatening if not detected and treated promptly. Be aware of a lump that is rapidly enlarging over weeks to months remember that one-third of these melanomas are not pigmented. I'm a big fan of dermoscopy. Um, In fact, I teach it in our workshops. Can you tell us a bit about the role of dermoscopy in diagnosing um, melanomas in particular? Dermoscopy is our saviour, I think, when it comes to diagnosing melanoma because it makes... Uh, things look much more obvious, it magnifies them for us and we can see deeper structures in the uh, lesion that we wouldn't be able to see with the naked eye. So it's really important to, if you have an interest in uh, skin cancer diagnosis, to get good at, at dermoscopy. It's really helpful for looking at pigmented lesions but also non-pigmented lesions a tip actually for looking at non-pigmented lesions, things that are pinker, to get an alcohol swab and give them a really good rub because that'll bring any of the vessels out and you can see them and appreciate them much more easily and have a look at what patterns are there. So you're looking at a few different things. You're looking at the pattern of the pigmentation, the pigment network, and how regular or irregular it is. There are certain diagnostic features that we look for in melanoma and you're also looking at the vascular pattern so different types of vessels that we might see in both benign lesions or malignant lesions and it's really good to become familiar with these it's also really helpful for seborrheic keratoses because seborrheic keratoses are really common 
and they can fool us. Uh, and so demoscopy can uh, make them very easily diagnosed by looking for simple things like comedone-like areas that will make their diagnosis obvious. Yeah, in fact, um, I remember reading a, a recent meta-analysis showing that demoscopy, the use of demoscopy will reduce the benign to malignant ratio of um, pigmented lesions. And also, uh, you can diagnose melanomas at, at an uh, earlier stage using demoscopy. So definitely very useful to learn. Now, the other thing I want to talk about is the uh, role of a diagnostic biopsy. So when you see a pigmented lesion, the current recommendation is to do a complete excisional biopsy, if possible, with a narrow margin. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about you know, the pros and cons or why this is the case? Yeah, so the most important thing when we are doing an assessment and having a look at a lesion of concern is to make an accurate diagnosis. That really goes without saying, but the biopsy technique that we use will have a big impact on whether or not we're able to do that. So if you think from the pathologist's perspective, you have to be kind to the pathologist. You have to give them the whole lesion. They will want to make that assessment of the whole lesion before they come down on benign or malignant. So the best way to do that is to do an excisional biopsy, provide the whole lesion so that they can make that assessment. Sometimes, though, it's not possible, obviously. So lesions that are large where you can't excise the whole thing without doing you know, a flap or a graft, which is not ideal, lesions on the face or cosmetically sensitive areas, it's going to be very difficult to excise lesion in the first instance. So there are times when partial biopsies are necessary, Lentigo malignant on the face, for instance, particularly uh, for flat areas, a shave biopsy can be really useful and shave biopsies are quite good in this setting. Anything that is clearly invasive, though, we also want to get a good idea of the depth because that informs both prognosis and it also helps us plan our further surgery and treatment. So uh, anything that has thickness to it, we can do an incisional biopsy either an incisional ellipse of the worst part of the lesion or a large punch of uh, uh, an obvious melanoma. Just be cautious with punch biopsies, particularly small punch biopsies. There is an increased risk of a sampling error if we use this technique. So a false negative misdiagnosis is much more common with the use of punch biopsies uh, and also shave biopsies, but to a lesser degree, than using an excisional biopsy, which we should do if we can. That's our tip number two. If possible, excisional biopsy is the ideal method of biopsy for pigmented lesions to avoid sampling error. There are many things on the pathology report and it can sometimes be very confusing uh, to read the report. Can you please tell us about what are the some of the features that make melanoma a bit more dangerous? Yeah, so there are some fairly key things that we're looking out for on the pathology report. Firstly, it's good to just make sure that there has been a synoptic report provided. This is uh, standard in Australia and it will give the key features that we look out for that will also help us with staging. So thickness, ulcer ulceration and mitotic rate are important parts of the uh, synoptic report. There will also be often be a comment on lymphovascular invasion, whether that is present or not. 
There will be uh, a note on the Clark level, which often, if patients are given this information, can be quite confusing because it's not uncommon that patients see Clark level four and Google that and see that, and they get it mixed up with stage four melanoma and think that they're imminently going to die. So please, when you are explaining Clark level to patients or the pathology report to patients, it's good to point out that there's a difference between Clark level four and stage four melanoma. Okay. And are there any sort of patient factors that might be contributing to how aggressive the melanoma might be? Patients who are immune suppressed, uh, particularly if they've got other hematological malignancy or they're on immunosuppressant drugs, may have a poorer prognosis just because of their own immune system is not able to fight the cancer as effectively. And we know from studies of some of the newer therapies that the immune system is really important in uh, fighting melanoma. Thank you very much. This brings us to the end of part one. Please join us for part two on management prevention and a little bit about artificial intelligence about melanoma. We hope you have enjoyed this podcast. Remember, these podcasts are not meant to replace medical advice. If you have a skin condition that requires attention, we strongly encourage you to see your medical practitioner. For those who would like to access some further information of this subject, we have placed a transcript together with some further education and information resources for you on our website. I also want to do a shout out for the GP education events that we run at the Skin Health Institute. Just go to spotdiagnosis.org.au. Please share Spot Diagnosis with your friends and colleagues. Rate and review us. Let us know what you think. We would really appreciate your feedback and any suggestions. Thank you for listening.